On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Jenny Anchondo. We are glad to have you here for Second Shot and a Second Shot Sit Down. You know, typically, we want to cover stories that are inspiring and uplifting, but today we're really kind of going more of an educational route as, gosh, parents are on the internet nonstop. And I know a lot of your kids are going to be on the internet all day long, sort of supervised, but maybe not quite as supervised as you'd like them to be if they're on a computer 24 seven. So we figured we would bring in some solutions to figure out what's the deal with the dark web. How do we put on some parental controls? How do we make sure that the kids are safe? And how do we make sure that the browser that they're using is safe? Because my gosh, there is a lot to figure out. So we're taking a second shot at cyber security. So to do that, we brought in John Ansbach with AON Cyber Solutions. He is the Vice President of Engagement Management, and this is a company that's a cyber security professional services firm. It's way outside the realm of my knowledge, so I am glad you're here. Hey, John. Hey, Jenny, how you doing? Good, well, I'm just excited to learn more about what, what you do, because you have this legal background, but then also this background in, in security. So tell us first off what, what your company does so that we kind of have an idea of your expertise. Sure, so um, Aon is a professional services firm that just does cybersecurity. So we really just do two things. We help uh, individuals and companies respond to data breaches and, and security incidents. And then on the other side of that, when we can, we help companies to resist those cyber attacks. So I personally spend about 70, 75% of my days helping companies to respond to those incidents and then the rest of my time trying to keep people out of harm's way. <laughs> well, see, this is how much I didn't know. It's called Aon, not A-O-N. So we've got that straight. <laughs> we've got John's company straight. You know, when I first reached out to you, I was calling saying, I, you know, I just kind of want to get a handle on this. I feel like everyone these days is talking about the dark web. Some people are talking about it because they want to access it because they have this belief that there's kind of more information there. The rest of us are saying, I think I don't want my kids there. So what is what is the dark web? So it's a, it's a really important question and uh, two pieces to that, okay? So uh, those of us that do this type of work, we refer to two spaces. We call it the deep dark web, if you will. Uh, the deep web, as we refer to it, those are areas on the internet, as you and I both know the internet, uh, but they are websites that have been configured by people who put them up not to be reachable with the general, um, the usual type of search engines. So if you think of a website uh, where uh, somebody sets up a website, they don't want to be searchable. They don't want people to be able to Google them. They have specific domains that are only known to other people. That's the deep web. That's places where you can't go unless you specifically know the domain name to type into your browser. The dark web, as we refer to it, is a whole other segment of network that is only searchable and only reachable with specific and special software. 
So uh, probably the best known example of that would be something called a Tor browser, T-O-R, and it's called the Onion Network or Onion Router. This is a place that is not searchable or reachable by Google or uh, Opera or Safari or any of the browsers that you and I know about. Uh, it's a whole other place on the internet, and it is certainly where uh, people go to do things with anonymity, uh, obviously illicit things, uh, a lot of unfortunately drug transactions and other bad things that occur there. And so it is, uh, it is a place where you have to have special software to reach it. And even then, there are deep places on that network where uh, also not searchable. So the deep dark web is not a place where most people spend their time and probably for good reason. So we, we did a segment, uh, gosh, a couple weeks ago about sex trafficking. And a lot of the people that were responding to that segment were saying, well, of course, nobody's hearing about it because all of this is on the dark web and because Google blocks it, almost making it seem like Google was trying to protect people that were doing unsavory things or illegal things. Is that the case or is that that Google doesn't allow bad things to happen on their browsers? Like what, what's the truth here? It's, it's certainly not that Google is in any way protecting, uh, and I would say Google or any of the other search engines you know about, they're not protecting or trying to censor that. Uh, the search engines that you're familiar with, like Google and others, they have bots and what we call crawlers. So when you type in something you're searching for, those things go out to searchable uh, websites and they crawl those websites and they return results. All this happens very, very quickly. Uh, it returns that sort of page that we're all used to seeing. The reality is, is that most of these websites that deal with this uh, awful uh, uh, trafficking and other illicit uh, activities, they're not searchable. They're not findable by these engines. They're not um, configured to be crawled and uh, to return a result so you see it in the browser. So it's most definitely not that Google and others are in any way protecting or censoring those results. The bad guys have simply hidden their activity so it's not findable by Google and other browsers. Is there any reason for someone like me to have a, a tour browser? Or even just not a journalist, like just a regular person out in the world, well, what would be the reason for having that? The, the, most people don't. The only reason you really would want to have a Tor browser, it, it's truly for anonymity. Uh, and to be honest, there are other ways to do that. Um, obviously, if you have a, a, we'll talk about it today as part of parental controls, a VPN, a virtual private network, will both mask your location as well as encrypt your internet traffic. Um, the Tor browser really is if you want to be able to surf the web in a way that is, um, I'll just say it like this, very anonymous. Uh, it truly masks where you are, what you're doing. Um, and, and honestly, even then, unless you spend a lot of time on the deeper dark web, you won't really know where to go or how to operate. So short answer to your question, not many people I know outside of my profession have Tor browsers. And you guys have them because you're working in the cybersecurity world with data breaches, right? That's right. So uh, a really good example, we do a lot of cases that involve ransomware, unfortunately. Uh, companies get hit by ransomware. They're uh, told they either pay up or they won't get their systems back or they won't get their data back. Some of those threat actors actually host websites where they are called walls of shame, where they're willing to out these companies and say, hey, ABC company, uh, we just got into them and we've stolen their data and you know people should know about this. They'll post that as a wall of shame. That wall of shame only exists on the dark web. And so for professionals like myself and then my colleagues, when we need to go and see, 
you know, uh, is a client on the wall of shame or is there a client data that's being offered for sale, uh, like a credit card data or in a large data breach, a set of credentials for a client. Our professionals will go to the dark web to look for that. But most, I'm going to use the term normal people sure. don't really have any reason to be there. Yeah. So how do companies keep from getting into that situation where their stuff's on the dark web? Well, so big question, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Explain that in three minutes, John. Look, there's lots of pieces to how a company builds cyber resilience. That's what we call it. Uh, resilience cyber to being resilience. attacked. Cyber resilience. Okay. Cyber resilience. And, and, and look, Jenny, most of the people watching uh, their companies, the people that they work for, they're all under attack constantly. It's, it's not just hospitals or banks. It's almost anybody that has uh, people that work there and information that's valuable. Uh, so these cyber thieves are constantly attacking enterprise, they're constantly attacking business, they're constantly attacking nonprofits. Some of the best ways that companies can uh, rebuff these attacks, um, certainly having good antivirus solutions, which are you know, what people think about, Symantec and others, these good antivirus solutions. Lots of good uh, password security, good pass, uh, we call it password hygiene, so not having short passwords or easily guessable passwords or crackable passwords. Passphrases are a really good idea. Um, something that, that we'll hope we will have a chance to talk more about is called multi-factor authentication or MFA. Uh, when you log into something, you're asked to put in a username and a password. That's a single factor authentication. Uh, some people offer MFA, which is that once you've entered that, you get a text message that says, here's a code, you put in that second factor. That's called MFA or multi-factor authentication. We highly recommend that for email, for bank accounts, uh, anything that you're concerned about uh, bad guys being able to get into. So MFA is really great for companies. Uh, obviously, VPN in today's work from home environment, having virtual private networks, to uh, remote access your your um, workplace is really, really important. Uh, and then that great password hygiene. So there's a lot of things people can do these days to really resist these attacks. Yeah, John, MFA is very annoying though, because uh, look, we're trying to make things happen quickly. They're asking for, you know, click on the thing that has the sidewalks and we're gonna text you. And can you explain right. <laughs> how important it is for us to, to have that, what did you call it? Cyber hy hygiene? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, I, and I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because it's funny. I just had this conversation uh, with my dad who uh, one of his banks told him he needed to start using MFA. And he was like, oh, you got you, know, you got to click this. And then you exactly. Well, I'm with your dad. It's heard from our corporate clients, too. Uh, the question is really very simple. What's more annoying uh, and what's more time consuming? Uh, taking an extra minute to put in a second level of authentication or dealing with a data breach. And I will tell you by experience, because we do, uh, we support our clients with breach activity all the time. Data breaches are no joke. They are incredibly time consuming. They can be very expensive compared to getting your cell phone and getting a text and having to put in a second factor or using an authenticator app that just generates that. It's a no brainer. MFA is incredibly important to keep security. Okay, fine.
your dad and I will get on board. And, and in many instances, you're kind of forced to. If you want to use the application, you have to. I've noticed that many companies do that. And you, you mentioned VPN. That's what we, you know, we've had many instances where over the course of this pandemic, uh, on morning after, we are broadcasting from home. So we use that same kind of technology. Have you noticed different businesses sort of getting on board with, with new technology to make things secure? And if they don't upgrade and do that, are they at risk? Well, to answer your question, the last question, 100% they are at risk. And, and look, there's no doubt that uh, since March, this is a much different landscape. Uh, up, up until March of this year, most of my clients, you know, depending on, on industry, maybe they were 15%, 20% remote. Most of their folks were coming in every day. In March and into April, very rapidly, thousands of people were deployed uh, to work remotely. And so uh, what they've had to do as a result is, is they've, had to, um, they've had to adopt new technologies uh, and to do so very, very quickly. Um, we've had clients that didn't do that and certainly got into a lot of trouble. And so it's, it's a no brainer. You've got to uh, account for the new environment. You've got to lock down your systems and uh, account for not just security as it usually is, but all the new attacks that are coming in these days. Let's talk about our kids. We're in a situation right now where unfortunately a lot of parents are working full time and now their kids are going to school full time from home. This whole time we've been told don't let the kids sit on the computer all day. It's risky for kids to have access to the internet all day. So now that we, you know, I'm here as mom and I'm working, you know, you can't be like at your child's computer 24 seven because you're also completing your work duties. So <laughs> this is like the big broad question again too. Yeah. What do we do as parents to make sure that our kids are safe and focusing on their school work instead of other stuff on the internet while they're on the computer all day? Right, so you know the answer to this a little bit is the same as what we've talked about for enterprise. Uh, when you're at home, and look, I, I, you know this Jenny, I have a, a yeah. seven year old in the center of my universe. Uh, he certainly does more screen time than I think uh, my wife or I would care for. Sure. But, you know, with what we can do today and then obviously school being as virtual when it is, you have to sort of do the best you can. Um, having VPN uh, uh, for your home and for machines that you access and your children use is a really good idea. Most importantly, because it will mask the IP address, meaning um, people won't be able to, to get your child's location. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of good, really, uh, really good VPNs out there that I'm thinking of, like ExpressVPN is a good one, um, NordVPN, Private Internet Access is a good one for Windows. Um, having VPN is a really good first step. Antivirus is another good thing. So bad software won't be able to get on your, on your kids' machines. The strong passphrases we've talked about, again, good for your kids even to have a good password hygiene, and you have to teach them that. Um, one of the things that I really like for kids these days uh, is um, there's software that you can use for parental controls. Okay. And some of this we call application layer, which is, um, and you can, I'm sure your viewers have done this, you can Google, there's a software you can buy that helps you to put parental controls on browsers. So whether you're using Chrome or Firefox or Safari, the browser uh, will actually block uh, uh, websites that um, are in a pre-configured list of bad sites and you can add to those as you go. And so there's some really good stuff out there. Ublock, I think, is one that I'm familiar with uh, that's pretty decent. Um, kid Logger is one that actually allows you to track your children's activity. And so if you have older kids and you want to kind of be sure to monitor their activity from time to time, there's some good software available for that. Kid Logger, I is think, that what you said? 
It is, yep. It's kid, called Kid Logger. Kid Logger. Okay, got uh -huh. it. I'm, ta I'm taking then, notes on all this. For sure. And, and then at the deepest level, um, you know, if you think about this, the internet comes into your house, it goes to your router, and then over Wi-Fi or wired, it goes to all of your devices. And so that's going to be your device. It's going to be your, your husband's device, your child's device. If you're just blocking with uh, an application level browser, it's just going to be that browser on a device. And so if your child moves to their phone, maybe the uBlock doesn't work there, right? Oh. If you want to get to the really uh, depths of uh, parental controls at home, what you need is router level security and router level controls. And I don't want people to be too scared of this because I, 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 when we talk about security, we, we always get worried that when you start to talk a little bit, normal people's eyes start to glaze over. And he said router and MFA and all of a sudden people are going, <laughs> Um, this is not as hard as it seems. Router level controls means you configure your router so that everything that comes off of it has parental blocks on it and parental controls. And I can tell you, um, there's a couple that I'm familiar with, uh, Cloudflare, uh, C-L-O-U-D-F-L-A-R-E, Cloudflare has a, a ready-to-go uh, DNS that you literally go into your router, you can put in a couple of numbers, and now you're using uh, Cloudflare's DNS, which has parental blocks. That's a really, really good one. And then there's another one that I'm familiar with called OpenDNS Family Shield, which does the same thing. So what these are is these are basically tools that you can put on your router that will allow for parental controls to then um, stop and filter that content that goes out to all devices. It's a really effective way to help uh, protect your kids. So you're blocking the content from your kids and from like your husband or other family members or whoever else. Is that, am I understanding correctly? <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, the, the, that bad content and these these uh, services, these tools, pre-configure those. You can add to them; they are customizable, but they but they're pre-configured. And so uh, there are there's a long list of sites and domains that will not be able to get in. So if you if you type it into your browser, uh, you know whatever it is you want to get to that's that's illicit. It will not resolve, meaning it won't come up. You'll get some type of error on the screen. Okay, I want to quickly go back to VPN for home. Uh, gosh, and this is, you know, I th I'm sure if I have this question, other people are wondering the same thing. How would you go about getting that or finding that or, or getting that set up? Because it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, VPN is super easy. Uh, you, first of all, you can Google it. So if you look, Google a list of top 10 VPN solutions, uh, you'll get the ones I'm talking about. Uh, ExpressVPN, I think it happens to be one that we use. Uh, NordVPN, N-O-R-D VPN, uh, CyberGhost. There's five or six ones, and they're kind of listed out in terms of what's best for Windows, what's best for Android, what's best for, okay. uh, for um, uh, Apple. Uh, and so uh, you can find them. And here's a tip. Uh, you may find some VPNs that are free. I don't recommend that. In, in, our, in my experience, uh, free VPN is, you know, and we let, everybody says this, right? Free is never free. Uh, free VPN uh, services mm. sometimes come with things you want or, or there's tracking or they want to market to you. Go ahead and pay $8 a month or something like that. These are, these are fairly inexpensive tools. You download the application to your device. It will attach to your device. And when you go on the internet, you, um, you can configure it to be on automatically or you can turn it on. And you can even configure where you want to appear from. ExpressVPN gives me the option if I want, I can appear like I'm logging in from a, a server in London or Canada, or just leave it be, just let it run and uh, it will run in the background and encrypt and mask your traffic. It's really a very easy thing to do.
It, gosh, I, mean, I swear, John, if this is one thing that people hear, because the concern here, as I'm hearing it, is people potentially finding out your kid's location, and that is so frightening. No, I mean, and, and again, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad, and uh, my son is, is uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's not a teenager yet, I'll say it that way. And he's a good uh, kid, but you still want to be careful. He's, he's a great kid, but this is in the same way that it's not about good employees or bad employees, it's not about good kids or bad kids. People fall for things, and they click on things, and they end up on websites that they shouldn't end up on. And the last thing in the world we want is somebody on the other end of that website to be able to track your IP address, geographically track it back to a neighborhood, and have somebody then turn cyber stalking into physical stalking. So VPN is a fantastic idea for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great tool. Okay, I'm gonna ask you something that I didn't prepare you for. So if if this is like way outside your scope of practice, then just tell me, but it's something that, that Heath and I were talking about all weekend. How is it that you can talk about something, never Google it, never search it on any browser, and then it comes up as an ad on your phone? And is there a way to prevent that from happening? Like, do you know what, I, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Um, the normal way that that occurs, right, and it's not in every case, but um, if you ever buy anything online, the purchase history it actually serves the purpose to to promote ads of like of uh, like and similar products. So um, you know, my wife is a is a constant Amazon purchaser. This is why uh, I and, love her. <laughs> well, I mean, she. If you drive by, the neighbors know that we're the ones where the UPS truck stops all the time, three times a day. Um, and as a result, on her browser, you will see the same types of products will get populated into those ads. So it's not just search history history that's being tracked. It is certainly purchase history as well that's promoting those ads to um, to target your buying. And, and by the way, you know some people actually like that because they feel like that way they only get ads that are relevant to them. At least that's the argument that uh, that folks that put those out uh, uh, will say. I see. It is certainly a little bit creepy to be sure, but that's almost always the way that works. Okay, it's just whatever we're searching. It feels so weird. It's like, what is that? Are you in my head? How did you know I was looking for that? But thank you, I will buy it. Yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, John, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you if they're looking for more information? So uh, Aon.com is our website and uh, Aon.com forward slash cyber solutions. So certainly if your uh, viewers uh, work for a company or lead a company uh, that is looking for that type of support, that's where we're at. And then uh, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. That's I don't, I don't try and hide myself or mask myself. And <laughs> if, you, if you Google me on LinkedIn, I'm usually the first one that comes up. John Ansbach, thank you. It was fun to chat with you and really, really good, valuable advice. I took like two pages of notes here, so thank you. Jenny, great to talk to you. Take care. You too. All right, you guys, there's our second shot. Sit down with John Onsbach. I'm gonna link it all up. Uh, don't forget, you can see these segments on Thursdays on CW33. We are now on with CW33 in Dallas. You can find out more information about Second Shot at secondshotpodcast.com. All the past episodes are on every single platform, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and again on CW33.com. If you guys have an inspiring story, when we get back to those second shot sit downs about truly inspiring our audiences, please feel free to email them to me, secondshotcast at gmail.com. I'll talk to you soon.